0: Thank you for that. Good scriptures. I love Psalm 121. The Lord is our help. We can look up to Him. All right. We'll continue to talk about, we're talking about the Trinity. And we looked at God the Father and how the Scripture presents Him as Father. And today we're going to look at how the Scripture presents God the Son. And we see this both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's more in a veiled way in a mysterious way because uh, Jesus, who had always existed as the Word, uh, wasn't fully manifested here on the earth till His incarnation, till He was born and in the New Testament times. Nevertheless, we see indication in Scripture that He manifested Himself and was active on the earth even in the Old Testament. And we'll look at some of that. Let's start with uh, Psalm 2. And so we are looking at the revelation of God as the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all one God, three personages who are equal, fully God, all eternal, and that's what makes them God. And, but each one has distinct roles that they carry out in God's work on the earth. Psalm 2 is a very clear statement in the Old Testament here that God has a son and that God's son is equal to him. We looked at some of this last time, but we see in verse uh, six where God speaks and says in context of the rebellion of the earth against him and against his Christ says, yet I've set my king on my holy hill of Zion. And then Jesus speaks then in verse 7, I will declare the decree, the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Right there is the statement in clearly in the Old Testament that God has a son, a begotten son. And he's the only begotten son of God and we have that fully stated in the New Testament. And then he goes on to say, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession." You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. So here we see the Son is equated with God. Verse 11, well, prior to that, He's presented as the king who is given the earth to possess, to rule over. It belongs to Him. Now, right there is an implication that the Bible is very clear that the earth belongs to the Lord. There's a psalm that says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Here, the earth is given to Jesus. So if Jesus isn't God, then there's a competition on him. But if Jesus is God, then those, both statements are true. And that is how... The Bible presents this is that the son is given the earth that rightfully belongs to the Lord because he is the Lord. He's presented as the Lord. And then I believe we even had that statement as we go on in verse 10 and 11, verse 11, when it says, serve the Lord with fear. Jesus has been presented as the king. What do you do to a king, king of the earth, of all the nations? The nations are to serve the king. They're under his authority. And here it says, serve the Lord, and that is all capital letters, which in the English clues you in on that this is the divine name of God, the name Yahweh, the personal name of God. And so here is Jesus being called Yahweh, and we are to serve him. We are told, first commandment, we're to serve the Lord our God only. We're to have no other gods before him. The second commandment is have no, make no image like him. Do not bow down to anything and nor serve anything except God. We're only to serve God. And here we're told to serve Jesus. It's a statement that Jesus is God. He is the Lord. He is Yahweh. And then it says, kiss the son, lest he be angry. When his wrath is kindled but a little blessed are all those who put their trust in him we're told all through the bible put your trust in god alone trust in the lord with all your heart over and over that statement here we are told trust jesus as the new testament says many times because jesus is the lord it's a it's a way of stating him as god so we have a very strong statement here in psalm 2 that god has a son and there's the basis for the trinity as i said at the beginning The word Trinity does not occur in the Bible. Those who want to argue against this will stress that point, but it's really irrelevant. Um, The Bible clearly presents God the Father as God, God the Son as God, and God the Holy Spirit as God, and that's the basis for then we put a title on that to say Trinity. If there is God the Son who is equal with God the Father, then that's the basis of the trinity. A second passage in the old testament that is very prominent on this is in the book of Daniel. So let's look there in chapter chapter 7. This is the first vision Daniel receives and it is a very major one about the kingdoms of the earth and the last kingdom and how A man of sin will rise up, but then God the Father will, ancient of days, will issue a decree to bring that kingdom to an end and to set up His kingdom on the earth. And then verse 13 then presents something very significant. When this has been accomplished, He said, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days, and they brought Him near before Him, then to Him was given, to Him, the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. And that title, very significant, verse 13, the Son of Man. The Son of Man then is presented here, and so that means a human being. That's what the title Son of Man means. But then we see this Son of Man comes before God, the Ancient of Days. And so He's presented as a distinct being, not a separate being, but there is a distinct personage personage here of the Son of Man from the Ancient of Days. And to Him, the Son of Man is given dominion and glory in a kingdom. The Old Testament Says repeatedly, God is the one who has dominion over the earth, has glory, the only one who possesses the glory of, of God, and and is has the kingdom. The kingdom belongs to the Lord. And it's given to the Son of Man here. And this is a very clear, powerful statement of Jesus that He was God, equal with God the Father, God the Son, and He was given the kingdom that all nations should serve Him. Because he is God, it's a statement of the deity of Jesus. Even though it's, it's both, it's a statement of his humanity and his deity, and is a very, very significant portion of Scripture. And his kingdom will be the one that will not be destroyed, and that, that only belongs to God. And so, it's a statement of Jesus's deity, but the title here is Son of Man, and Jesus used that most often. When you read the Gospels, most of the time when he refers to himself, he will use the title Son of Man rather than Son of God. I think he did that because he was revealing himself gradually in a process, and in many ways he veiled it. He didn't come out real blatant at first. He held that back. And he did it in a veiled way, and that's why he chose to say son of man rather than son of God, even though both are true and both ultimately mean the same thing based on Daniel. The son of man was the son of God, both. And those who knew the Old Testament and would search out the Scripture and search out him about he's the son of man, he's claiming to be the son of man, would read and say, he's God the Son. He's the Son of God. And then at the end of Jesus' ministry, or at, at times that would come out, particularly at the end, with His disciples, He questioned them at the, toward the, the middle way point of His ministry and said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter makes a great confession. You are Christ, the Son of God. He said, You are right. But He was not broadcasting that publicly. It was private. But at the crucifixion, the high priest asked Him directly, Are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? And He says, I am. But he veiled it. And he veiled it by using this title, Son of Man. But the Son of Man title here clearly equates him with God as the one that all nations will serve. So a very important part of Scripture. And in the Old Testament here, it is a statement of the Trinity, of Jesus as the Son of God, God the Son. And so those are the two main ones that state his identity there's some interesting, a couple of interesting events that happen. I want to show you one. Look at Genesis chapter 16, I believe it is. 17. 18. We'll get there eventually. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 1 starts off. And this is with Abraham and it says, Then the Lord appeared to him, to Abraham, by the terebinth trees of Mamre. So the Lord, that's all capitals, Yahweh, appears to him and then notice verse 2, Abraham lifts his eyes and looks and hold, he sees three men. Three men were standing by him and when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, bowed himself to the ground and said, my Lord, if I now have found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. So he's speaking to these three men and he says, Lord, don't pass by your servant. Abraham didn't serve angels. He served the Lord, the only one you're to serve. Only we worship, serve the Lord. And he was talking to these three men, and one of them here is identified as the Lord, looking like a human being. And so we connect these dots, and this is one of the times that, that uh, many believe that this is a manifestation of Jesus in the Old Testament in a human form, pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. It's called, we go on and see more evidence of this, that Abraham fixes them a meal. And then they're talking to Abraham and Sarah is behind the tent curtain. And as God is, the Lord is telling Abraham that Sarah going to have a son. She laughs. And then look at verse 13. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the point in time I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And said, and he said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? since Abraham shall surely become a great mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So one of the men is talking and saying, why did Sarah laugh? And he's identified as the Lord, and that's Jesus. One of these men. And, that, and the answer is the Trinity, that God the Son manifests Himself in a human form. And I think He did this because He was fulfilling His role is the Word of God, and I believe he was the one that came and spoke to the prophets when it said the Word of the Lord came to the prophet so-and-so. I believe that was Jesus appearing to them and speaking, and they would hear his voice. That's how they received that revelation. And he would do that, and at times he appeared to people as a messenger of the Lord, and in that way he was then called the angel of the Lord at times in the Old Testament. Where he was not an angel per se, he was in the general sense a messenger, the messenger of the Lord, and that's the answer to that. Uh, You see this also manifested in the book of Judges, appearing to uh, Samson's parents, and he's there called the angel of the Lord. And after he appears to Samson's father, he exclaims, My eyes have seen God. And he thought he was going to die. And that was a manifestation of Jesus. But here we see He's identified as the Lord speaking. Notice there's three men and they arise to go towards Sodom and and the Lord, Jesus, says, I need to reveal to Abraham what I'm doing here. And He tells him about destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. And then He has that discussion with him about will He spare it if there's so many people there who are righteous? And He has that conversation And then verse 33 says, So the Lord went His way as soon as He had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to His place. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Now it's two. Now it's two. Where's the third one? The third one was the Lord who went back to His place, meaning He went back to heaven. So what we have here, very interesting, is that Jesus came and appeared to Abraham with two angels. On their way to Sodom and Gomorrah, to go down there to bring the judgment. And they speak in, from a human perspective, let me just throw this out. You'll see them say to Abraham, or, or the Lord is saying, He says, "We're going down to Sodom to see if the evil is what I've heard the cry come up to me, and I'm going to see if it is and if it is, and if not, then I'll know." And you go, "Why is God saying he doesn't know? He knows. Sometimes God speaks, and here, remember, this is Jesus who's in human form, and He is speaking from a human perspective, and sometimes God does that. Like when He he came to Adam and said, Adam, where are you? God knew where Adam was. He was asking the question from a human perspective for Adam's benefit, for him to evaluate himself. Many times God does that, and that's the answer when you see that in Scripture. You say, why does God ask a question? He knows everything. It's because sometimes he speaks from a human perspective for the benefit of the humans that he's speaking to, not for his own knowledge. Same way here. And he says, I'm going down there to see if it's what, I, what I've heard it is, and then I'll know. He was telling Abraham about what's about to happen. So Abraham would go through his... He would do what he did for... It's all about Lot, really. It's about Lot. And Abraham intercedes for Lot. Well, God was already had a plan for Lot, to spare Lot, and the angels were going down there for that. And that's what they do if you read the rest of the story. They basically have to grab Lot and drag him out of town to spare him for Abraham's sake. So that's why the angels, so the two angels went down there to do that. Jesus goes back. That's what you see happening here with the three men. And two are identified as angels. One is identified as the Lord. So that is an Old Testament reference to Jesus in human form being identified as God, that the Son is equated with the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh. All right, let's go to the New Testament now, and we'll look at some just main ones. And John chapter 1 is a very key text on the deity of Jesus. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, right there in those two verses, you see the Trinity presented. And the aspects of the Trinity presented, even though it doesn't say God is the Trinity. It doesn't have to. He's presenting it, and the elements it presents here state that. Where it says, He was with God. The word was with God, meaning he's a distinct personage. But then it says the word was God. So he is God, yet he's with God. You know, on the human level, those two can't be at the same time, but on God's level, it can. And that's the mystery of the Trinity and how God is so much above us is that Jesus was God and yet he was distinct personage where he was could be said he was with god as the second person of the trinity and so this is a very short to the point statement as john is known for and it's very clear that and he uses the title the word which was manifestation of his purpose his role was to speak the word of god as he said in psalm 2 i will declare the decree what God's decide, Father decides, the Son then declares it. And that's what Jesus had done for all eternity. And that's what He did when He then came down to the earth. He came to proclaim the Word of God and reveal the truth of God that the Father had sent the Son to die so that the world would not have to perish but could be saved. And that's what Jesus Work was to do. And that's what he did for three and a half years. He taught the Word of God. He taught about the Father. And you see that in the book of John that we talked about last time. He repeatedly taught people about my Father, my Father, my Father. And he's your Father. He's our Father. He taught about the Father constantly about who he was, what he's like, and how the greatest thing was to serve him. And that the greatest need we had was to be reconciled to our Father because we have sinned and been separated from him and we follow darkness rather than light and our greatest need is to come to Jesus and follow him he would lead us to the father and so this statement here very clear uh, Jesus was the word and identifies verse 14 he in a process develops this statement where it's clear he's referring to Jesus, where it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so he's, he took a little bit to build up to where it's clearly he's talking about Jesus, the one that they had served and followed, and now they are proclaiming who He was and what He taught. Uh, Verse 3 says, all things were made through Him. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. That is significant. We see several times in Scripture where Jesus is credited with making everything. And Genesis says, God made everything. And there's the presentation of Jesus as God. I'll just quickly refer to, uh, you will deal with many false groups who will deny the deity of jesus and that is one of the key characteristics of a cult is denying the deity of jesus saying that he was a created being a lower being or that he progressed up he was a human being he progressed up to be a god the mormons say that jehovah's witnesses say he was a created angel and just to understand uh, we need to clearly think through these things be ready to defend these things because as I said earlier, in the Old Testament you have the angel of the Lord identified as God and he's called the angel of the Lord. Well, they'll take that and they'll twist it and say, oh, hey, hey Jesus was an angel. You believe that was Jesus in the Old Testament, right? And they'll say, well, so he's an angel. So we have to be clear in how we address that and that's the way I explained it is that uh, to understand what the word means. The word angel has taken on a specific connotation today in our English, but in the Greek, the word can be used generally and specifically, and it just means messenger. Well, angels, the spirit beings God made, God did send to the earth with a particular task of being His messengers, and so they took on that name messenger, which is angelos in the Greek. That has then been transliterated into English angel, and and it takes on that connotation because that's a major part of Scripture but it generally means messenger. And so when Jesus is called the angel of the Lord, He's meaning the messenger of the Lord. Not that He was one of the spirit beings created by God, but He was the Word of God, the messenger of God. But the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, I was trying to get to was uh, on John 1. They will really twist this. And uh, just be prepared for that, that they have uh, distorted the text here. And you'll quote this to them, and they'll say, "Well, oh, it really doesn't say that in the Greek. It really says that the Word was a God. And that's saying that He's a lower God and a created being. And uh, there, there's not, that is not the accurate rendering of the Greek. I won't go into all the details. I've done that before. Uh, but if you're, if you're interested in that information and if you're dealing with a Jehovah's Witness, I can direct you in that information. But basically, that is not an accurate rendering of the Greek. It is what it is here, that the Word was God, big G, equal to God the Father. And so very, uh, very important text. John 1, and then it comes down to conclusion, verse 18, no one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son. And there's, there he, uh, John concludes it, comes to the great conclusion, the only begotten Son, and that's his great phrase that he contributes in this book, the Gospel, and it is unique to John and it is a great contribution of scripture uh, presenting Jesus as the only begotten son of God. And he states it there in verse 18 for the first time the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the Father. There's the trinity. He has declared him. And there's Jesus work. He declares the Father and the son does that and the son is equal with God. He's the only one who has seen God, who knows God, because He is God. So great statements there from the Gospel of John. John 1 and then Colossians 1. There are three key texts, John 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1, and uh, that's an easy way to remember them. And in chapter 1, verse 15, and this is speaking of Jesus if you go back a few verses. He, verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And that is a tremendous statement there. He's the image of the invisible God. And that word image refers to an exact representation of God. And that's what Jesus was. He came down, manifests, manifests Himself in the flesh as the exact representation of God the nature of God and of course not in his physical body God doesn't have a physical body Jesus took on a physical body so that he could come and be on the earth and talk to us talk to people and speak and declare and then to die on the cross and offer his human body as a sacrifice but in his nature he was the exact representation of God that's what this statement means he's the image of the invisible God And that's a statement, a powerful statement of his deity. The firstborn over all creation. Now, that statement is very important. It's also twisted by the cults. Firstborn refers to his incarnation that gives him the status of being king over the earth. It's the Son of Man who's in Daniel, who's the only one who can, can conquer the kingdom of darkness on the earth and he does in his coming and then the kingdom is given to him because he rightfully deserves it and he accomplished it that's the status of firstborn it is all the statements of jesus uh, psalm 2 that that the inheritance of god is given to jesus the earth the earth belongs to god he's going to give it to his son and this the firstborn son that inherits and we have that pattern based on god's own character nature, and nature and operations within the trinity that's why we have inheritance that happens that way and when you have an estate it will go in the altar in the bible we've moved away from this at times but you'll see in the bible it went to the rights of inheritance of the, carrying out the estate and taking care of the family it was given to the firstborn son it was called the birthright you see that with jacob and esau Esau had the birthright. That meant he was firstborn, and that meant when Isaac died, everything was going to Esau, and Esau was going to become the head of the family at that point and take care of his mother if he was, she was still alive, take care of the state, continue on the family work, state inheritance that went to the firstborn that was called the birthright. It was a status of authority, that that firstborn would then carry out the work in place of the Father in equality with the Father. And Jesus is given this uh, title here as the only begotten Son of God, as the one who would carry out <clears throat> the work of God on the earth as the one right, only rightfully one to do that. And the only one worthy of doing that. This uh, statement is misapplied and misused by saying firstborn means that he was not eternal that he had a beginning that he was created that's what the cults will say but that is not what this phrase is involving with jesus it is emphasizing it does emphasize it does present his physical incarnation his first his being born into the earth which happened at a point in time but it does not refer to his eternal his existence before in eternity past the cults will say that at some point in the past god made him he had a birth spiritual birth and and that jesus is a lower god for that reason and that this phrase refers to that but it refers to his physical birth on the earth and his status as the only begotten son of god who uh, will inherit all things and rule over all things firstborn over all creation And it emphasizes His status as the only one equal, able to carry out the work of God on the earth in the will of the Father. The Son will carry out the will of the Father over His creation, and that's who Jesus is. And that is a statement of His equality with God the Father. All right, we're, we're going to stop here and pick this up uh, the next time. We'll continue looking at Colossians 1, and then we'll go to Hebrews 1. And then there's two <clears throat> short statements in uh, the book of Romans, Romans chapter 9, and then 2 Peter chapter 1 that many times are overlooked but because they're such a short statement, but it's such a powerful, clear statement where it calls Jesus, both of those statements call Jesus, god and savior and it calls jesus god and those are very clear statements of jesus being identified as god in the new testament and many times those are overlooked or passed by with the cults and those are very important verses to bring out of the deity of jesus in defending the teaching of the nature of god as a trinity all right let's pray we praise you lord jesus and we praise You, God, for Your great wisdom and Your character to manifest Yourself as a Trinity and for Your works in our behalf to make us and then to send Jesus to redeem us and for You, Lord Jesus, to come as the firstborn of our creation to bring us out of our darkness and to redeem us, that we may serve You in Your kingdom, that you alone deserve to inherit and that you will reign over all that God has made as God, as the Lord, and all will worship you because you are God. And so we praise you for these truths and pray you give us understanding of your word and help us to defend these important truths to uh, people who are, who have been confused by Satan, who are in false doctrine in this key area of the person of the Lord Jesus. For as you said, Lord, that people do not believe that you are he, the Son of God, they will die in their sins. And so I pray you give us clear understanding of these truths and uh, that we can remember these to share them with people who need to hear the truth that we encounter in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.